Good morning, church. It is so wonderful to be with you. I told them in first service when I saw the uh, video for the Camp of the Hills, saw the dancing of some of our adult members, it was very clear that we were raised in churches of Christ. I'm excited to continue a bit of what we started last week. Uh, again, this is a time of the year where we are refocusing what, uh, in, in our hearts and our lives, what really matters. We're asking that question we started last week. What is it that is worth striving for and grappling for and fighting for? There's a, a lot of fighting and contending that's going on in the world. What is it that's worth pouring our energy into? And so we talked last week about our, our vision statement. So you put that up there. Our, our kind of uh, way of saying the Great Commission that Jesus gave last week, we looked at Paul's version of the Great Commission. Uh, we talked about what, this way. This, it's a big vision. Here's the vision. Uh, we want everyone in our sphere of influence, whether it's here in Bryan College Station or around the world, that we have connection with to at least have the opportunity to find hope and live with purpose. We talked about that hope last week. Hope isn't just floating away to heaven one day. It, it, the hope Jesus gives us, Colossians 1, is that he is remaking the entire cosmos. He is renewing and restoring the world. And then he invites us to find our purpose in that hope that he's bringing to the world. That's pretty powerful. And, and then, again, from the Great Commission and then from Paul's way of saying this, here's a simple understanding of our purpose. Because we don't make up the purpose. It's our language here to describe it. What, what's our purpose? We are to be disciples who make disciples. Uh, or a simple way we said it last week, we're invited to grow up. Paul said to become fully mature. And again, that's not just like Bible knowledge. That's becoming who you're on the planet to be, uniquely you, with God working through you. We get to grow up and help other people grow up. And what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks is kind of leaning into the mission version of the vision statement. What is that? Like, how do we actually do this? How do we walk this out? And we're talking about the image of a pathway. We're talking about the pathway to the life of God. What does that look like? And again, we can get real detailed here, but I just want to talk about big picture. What are at least three steps we can be taking on an ongoing basis that help us go deeper and deeper into our walk with God? So that's the picture and, and like we did last week with the Great Commission and uh, Colossians 1, for the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to focus on some of these central passages in Scripture that remind us again who we are and why we're on the planet. I suspect a lot of you may have heard this before. If you haven't, this is a really important one. In fact, Jesus tells us it's the most important. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 28. But understand... These words that maybe some of you heard before, we call it the greatest commands. Um, these words come in the context of conflict and fighting. Understand that Jesus doesn't give us these words in the middle of a kind of a peaceful conversation over coffee. This is in the middle of active conflict. The heat is being turned up in Jesus's ministry here. In the end of chapter 11, before we get to this chapter, they come and religious leaders, some of you, and in fact a lot of you probably know this, Jesus often came in conflict with religious people far more than he did with people in the world because religious folks tend to have it all figured out. <laughs> and when Jesus cast the vision for his purpose, we often as religious folks come into conflict with it and so people attacked him in chapter 11. Where are you getting the authority to do this? 
And then chapter 12, he gives them a, a warning in the form of a parable. And they recognize Jesus is speaking the warning to the religious leaders. And they want to arrest him. They want to attack him. But he's too popular at this point in time. And so they send the brethren after him <laughs> to ask questions. And so there are people from different, almost religious, political parties that come. The Pharisees and a group called the Herodians. And then right before this passage, you need to understand because it refers to this. Right before this passage, they're in the middle of pretty passionate debate in a group called the Sadducees. And if you read through the uh, uh, fact pattern that they give, kind of the hypothetical question they give to Jesus, it would make a law professor proud if you kind of read through what the Pharisees try to throw at Jesus. And Jesus challenges them, and that's where we pick up this text. So look at Mark chapter 12, verse 28. This is the gospel of our Lord. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is none other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know this probably in a lot of different stations or parts of your life. We often grow into the words that we say. We'll grow into language that we use throughout our life in different circumstances or situations. I, I think about, for example, when I coach baseball or I coach football for our kids and, and the other kids in the neighborhood as we're growing up, we often would start the year with, well, I don't know, in this setting, we might call it a yell. Uh, there was essentially a team mantra that we would teach them, and I would say a couple things, and there was a response the team gave back to us. And I would always teach it in the very first practice. Someday I'll tell you more about it, and we'll explain it, but just get the picture in your mind. I would teach it the first practice. I would say it, and before practice is over, they could respond. And I would say it, and they would respond, and they would shout. It would be perfect. But here's the thing. They had no idea what they were saying. First practice, first game, well into the season, they didn't get it. But there was usually a time when it would click in as a team and we became the words we had been saying all season. Other more important example that comes to my mind, I still remember the day on a college campus as a young college student and I said the words to the woman who would become my wife for the very first time, I love you. Man, I had no idea what I was saying. And I think about over the course of the years that have come since then, how both of us have grown into that one simple word, love. There's something about 
the words that we use over the course of time again and again, the repetition is actually really important because we grow into the very words we use. Did you know that is true for the central stories of our faith? I suspect if you've gone to church for any length of time, you probably heard some version of the words that I just read from Jesus' lips. But here's the reason we keep coming back to him, we keep reading him, and we will put out at the beginning of the year, hold on, this is first importance. Why? Because we can say it and we can sing it, but by the power of the Spirit of God, we need to grow into the words that we've been saying our whole lives. Jesus says the first step you will ever take, whether you have been walking with Jesus for 80 years or eight minutes, the first step that you will take to go deeper in your walk with God is to love God with all of your being. That's what it's all about. And as we explore this telling of this story, because there's three of them in the first three Gospels, as we explore this particular one, I'm struck by the fact that this is all the time when I come and encounter Jesus, how radically different he is from me. Because the way he approaches this man in this conversation is entirely different than the way I would do it. I love how Jesus begins with him. He starts with what is right and good about this guy when they come into the encounter. What is it that is right? What is it that is good with this man? And again, think about this. This is remarkable in light of everything that has been going on. Since the end of chapter 11, he's literally been shot at with one question after another from religious leaders like this scribe. It's a word that we uh, use here that really is a better way to think about it as a religion scholar. Think of a PhD in religion and Bible and the faith in their day. And he comes to Jesus to ask a question. And what I want to do with this guy is I want to write him off. I want to say, here's another guy, like other people who certainly do do this in the story, who come to Jesus arrogant and deceitful. It says in a bunch of the stories that come before this, they come to Jesus, quote, trying to trap him in his words. Or they'll come like the Sadducees and they'll give this crazy description of a hypothetical situation that's a no-win situation for him to try to trap him and deceive him. By the way, even in those settings, he answers their question, which is pretty staggering. But here, Jesus doesn't start that way. In fact, it's the only encounter in the entire book of Mark with a scribe, one of these religion scholars, that is described in a positive way. But what I love about it, think about this, Jesus doesn't just give us an answer to the question, what's the most important thing in your life? Here's what's so powerful. Listen to this. In his encounter with this scribe, he actually models how to live out the command. Watch this. It's pretty cool. He doesn't just give words. It's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just a poster. Go love God. He actually shows you what that looks like. And in the process, he reveals a God who is worth loving. Now, here's what we learn from this guy. How does he... Go deeper in his journey, loving God. The first thing it says is that he noticed Jesus. It says when he noticed, when he saw that Jesus had given a good answer in the middle of the debate, he went and asked him the question that they all debated. What's the most important thing? They debated it in that day. When he noticed. Listen, I know this sounds crazy. 
if you have gone to church your whole life, if you have followed Jesus for 80 years, or whether you followed for eight minutes. The way you begin to take a deeper walk with God into the purpose of your life is to notice him. <laughs> notice Jesus. Take note of who he is and what he does and the way he lives and the way he acts. He noticed something about Jesus, and then he went and asked him. I said this in our Bible class a lot. I was talking to a friend about this too. Jesus often spoke in parables, and so often we talk about Jesus did that so that everything would be clear. That is exactly not what he said. When people asked him, why do you speak in parables? He quotes Isaiah to say, so that they'll be ever seeing and not hearing, <laughs> and not understanding, and not perceiving. Here are the people who actually got it when Jesus spoke his parables. Some people walked away and didn't know. Now, there were times when it was totally obvious. In fact, earlier on in this chapter is a great example of that. They really got it when he was challenging them. But often they didn't. Parable of the sower is a great example. We've heard that our whole lives. But Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and the crowd gets the general description. But why is it the disciples learn more? Because they went and asked him. They come unto Jesus and say, what do you mean? Here's the thing about this guy. He goes deeper in his walk with Jesus because he notices there's something about Jesus that's worth coming a little bit closer. And he comes and he asks him. And that's exactly what Jesus said we do in order to live out the most important thing. He starts by saying, here, listen, pay attention, Israel, love God. But the first word is here. Notice, pay attention. Here's the thing. I love Jesus affirms that there's something good. God doesn't have it all together, but he affirms that there was something right about the longing inside of this guy. Now, for this guy, what he was longing for was more information, more theological understanding. He was speaking to his mind here. But all of us can take a deeper walk with God if you allow your longing be directed to God. For In this case, it was an intellectual struggle this guy had. A lot of us, it's a heart issue. Came across an excerpt of a, a letter my father wrote to my mother when I was seven years old. Dad would die three years later, and this gives me a window into his heart. I connect with him because my dad struggled with some of the same things I do. For him, what he was longing for was more than just his natural abilities. Because my father, like his son is a recovering perfectionist. So listen to his words. This is what he says. Wrote a letter to my mother when he was on a trip one time. He said, I've lived so long in anticipation of something breaking, something changing. He had this vision of what he wanted to be, and he couldn't quite get there. But he said, honestly, if something ever did, I think my mind would break with it. Listen to this. The drive of constant failure has propelled me to the verge of idiocy already. My dad's way of talking. He said, man, I face failure in my mind one day after the next, and I just am not the guy that I want to be. And he ends this part by saying, the knowledge of my limitations has all but destroyed my self-confidence and has made me, I'm afraid, very negative. I love his heart. I love his willingness to tell his bride, I'm struggling to live up to my own inadequacies and abilities. And here's what's great. The father I knew for the last years of his life was so different than the father 
uh, that I would have known 10 or more, more years before because seven years before he died, he gave his life fully to Jesus Christ. And as you can see, he's still struggling with it. But the guy I knew taking his last breath was a totally different man than the one even who wrote that letter because he gave his longings to the one who can take him further. And isn't it amazing? Jesus says, I'm going to start, listen to me, I'm going to start with what's right and good, even if all it is is a longing to be different or better. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I'll take you deeper with me, even if the only thing you can do is want to be more. I love that. Here's the other thing that's powerful to me about Jesus. He says for him and for all of us, you can just start where you are. You don't have to start where you're not. Start exactly where you are. Here's, here's the interesting thing to me. When he's encountering this guy, I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus actually changed the Bible. Now, he's Jesus. He can do this. But when he quotes the Shema, which again is the central confession of Israel's faith, we're told that some you know, decades and decades before the birth of Christ, they were already in a rhythm in the morning or at night. They would, they would pray this as a prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God. And this is the thing. If you read it and it's an original in Deuteronomy 6, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus changed the Bible. Did you catch it? He added one thing. He said, love the Lord your God with your, all of your what? Your mind. Now, here's the thing. In one sense, we know he can just paraphrase because the whole passage is about not breaking down the human beings. People fight about what parts are in human beings and all that. The big picture is love God with everything you have. But I wonder if there's a little bit more going on. Why does Jesus choose to include talking to this guy in this setting, love God with all your mind? Let me, let me say it again. Why does Jesus say to the religion PhD I'm inviting you to love God with all your mind. Why? Because he's starting where the guy already is. He wants to know and understand God. And I'm talking to some folks here that probably you love digging down and you want to understand God. Now, you will realize you'll come a day where you have to bow before the mystery because you cannot figure him out. But Jesus says, I'll start there with you. Isn't that great? He starts where he is. And he grows with him in that moment. He starts where they all are because they're in the middle of debating a bunch of religion scholars and religious leaders. And Jesus says, I'm going to start exactly where you are in this text. The other thing I appreciate about this is he lets the guy do what he normally does. Remember, this is a PhD. This is the professor. He's usually the one asking the questions. He's usually the one directing the conversation. And what does Jesus do? He lets him do it. Did you notice that? In one of the most important conversations that ever happens in human history, he's telling us what's most important. He lets this guy lead. It says when he noticed Jesus had given a good answer. In other words, the PhD said, oh, you get an A on that one, Jesus. I wonder if I can ask you more. And then after Jesus speaks, he said, well said, teacher, you get another A to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus goes with it. Don't you love this guy? He will meet you right where you are. Does he have it all together? No. Is he a little bit arrogant? Probably so. And Jesus says, I'm still showing up. And I'm going to take you closer in your walk with God. Isn't that staggering? 
So here's the thought. Here's a simple invitation. Start where you are. I know we've heard this verse, but let's like actually keep growing deeper to live it out. Start where you are. Here's a way to think about it. How can I grow to love God a little bit more? Here's a thought. What do you love already? What do you love? Think about it. Here's what's great. This guy loved deep thinking, so Jesus says, I'll start there. Now remember, he has other things, so he's going to take him places that he's not yet, but he starts where he is. What do you love? Are you too a deep thinker? Great. Bring your mind to God. Ask crazy deep questions. Bring it to him. I love a guy named A.W. Tozer. Maybe you've heard of him. He's written brilliant books, but he didn't even go to college. And for a long time, he struggled with that. But you know what he would do every time before he would study Scripture or read a, a, a book of, of significance? He would get on his knees. He would put it out before God and ask God to reveal to him what God wanted him to know. And before he died, he was one of the most brilliant and influential man people are still reading his books today. Bring your mind to God. Bring it. Some of you are incredibly creative and imaginative. Start there. Bring it to God. great guy named Ignatius in the past said, here's a great way to do it. Go to a Bible story with Jesus and put yourself in the story. Imagine you're one of the characters and let him speak to you. I'm not talking about making up scripture. Listen, the Holy Spirit lives in you and in your sanctified imagination. So bring that to him and see if he might do something with it. Some of you are powerful, passionate heart people. You're relationship people, relationship people. you're harmonizers. So bring your relationships to Jesus and, and just say, God, I love you because of this. And I love, finish the sentence. I love this. And now I love you because of this. And you can keep going down the list. Some of you are physical folks. So go bring your physicality to God. That's one of the reasons throughout scripture, they used posture in prayer. And they would bow and they would stand and they would do all sorts of things. Again, we're in college station. We understand posture in expressing ourselves. So do it with God if physicality is your thing. So here's the thing. Start where you are. What do you love? Turn it to the one who made you and see if he doesn't take you a little bit deeper. Secondly, let him take you deeper. And we'll talk about this a lot as we go forward and ahead. Just ask this. There's a slide there for this. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what's the next step that I can take? Right? What's the next step? Here's the picture we're giving, what we call a discipleship pathway. It's just a, a simple way to think about if our, if our vision is to have disciples, make disciples, and make disciples, what does that look like? Here's the thing. Jesus, when he talks about the purpose for your existence, doesn't talk about lists or rules. He talks about relationships. So what you're looking at here are three relationships. There's really two, but we're kind of expanding the second one a little bit. Love God and love people. And we'll expand the other two in coming, in coming weeks. But think about this. We've used this language before. Now we're going to be really specific about it. We invite you to meet up with the one who made you. Meet up to know God. That's not just intellectually. In the Bible, that word know is experiential. Meet up to experience the creator God in your life. And here's a way to think about it. In that section, we'll get to the other two um, in the coming weeks. I'll just say it quickly. Plug into your spiritual community here. You love people here first. This is where we practice it. And as we do those first two, then God will propel us into the world in deeper ways. By the way, it's intentionally a circle because you can enter the pathway wherever you are. Some people will not come to this setting first. 
some people will be far more inclined to go on one of our mission trips. And they're actually living out uh, the mission before they maybe even know the one who's given them the mission. And, and then you, okay, what I'm going to ask you is, what's your next step? Maybe you want to get into a group of people that will help you actually know the one who called you on mission. Does it make sense? It's a circle for a reason. Enter anywhere. Some will enter here because it's easy to do that. But let's talk about that first one for a moment. Here's the thought. Within each one of them, there's a little bit of detail. Here's our encouragement. If you want to grow deeper in what Jesus said is the most important thing, I want to invite you to think about two different settings for that. One is corporate worship. Whether it's a thousand or whether it's five, here's the thing. We worship together and this gathering matters. If you want more on that, go back to Brian's sermon a couple weeks ago. It was powerful. Paul talks about, he uses this language, when you gather as a church, there is something that happens when the people of God come together. The Holy Spirit is present in ways when we gather together that aren't true just with me and Jesus under a tree. Come together. Here's the other thing that's so important, because remember, this isn't just checking off a box. We're practicing meeting our God. I can't say this any stronger than this. When we gather here, it's not for you or me. Now, ultimately it is because it blesses us and God says, here is the rhythm. But listen, I love the way one writer puts it. The subject of worship is God and the object of worship is God. We are here to talk about him. We're here to think about him. We're here to marvel at him. We're here to be frustrated sometimes with him and question him. It's about him and the one who should be pleased when we're done is him. And church after church has struggled with that. We think we're here for us. It's about God. And that's why I've said this image before. You will hear me say this often. This has been, it's a, it's a visual parable to me. I remember in a church I was a part of, I saw an 80-year-old woman sitting next to a 26-year-old girl. Quoting the 80-year-old woman. She said, what I love in this place is that we sing each other's songs. And there are songs as they sit together in worship that 80-year-old woman doesn't like and doesn't want to sing. But she does it because she loves the girl who's sitting next to her. And she's singing to the God who brought them together. And there are songs that they sing in that church that the 26-year-old girl doesn't like, doesn't get, doesn't make sense, but she sings it with gusto because she loves that 80-year-old woman sitting next to her and she's singing to God for the ones he brought together. I don't care about the worship wars. I don't care about the fights. If we focus on the one we are worshiping and the one we are here to please, it will work a lot of things out. We're here for him. And one of the reasons we worship together is because we don't always get our way. Thank you. Thank you. I came here because this church has every generation in it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we will fight for that unity because it's about him. And that's how he gets glory. We will meet up together, and it won't be easy. 
It might take, I don't know, the power of resurrection to hold it together. And, and, how do we meet up? Corporately and personally. I want to say this. If the only spiritual food you get is right now on Sunday morning, you are starving. If the only time the creator of the universe gets to tell you, I delight in you. I created you. And yeah, you're crazy. But I died for your craziness and I love you. If the only time you hear that is right now, you're starving. And you will have every other voice in the world tearing your soul out. So worship him. Meet God personally. Now here's the great thing. There, you get to do whatever you want. You get to listen to your music, you get to read your books, you get to take your walk, you do what you were designed to do to connect with God. And can you imagine if those two things are come together, we even got the rest of the pathway. If you are being filled throughout the week, you come in this room to honor God, oh, can you imagine the power in this place as he sends us back out? What's your next step? We're going to keep asking that question. Is there one little step that he invites you to do to get a little bit closer in either one of these areas? We're just focused on the first one. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. Again, I promise anytime I talk about specific applications, I always pray, Holy Spirit, just filter it out. These are things that have been meaningful to me and some of my friends. If this is not helpful to you, I'm giving them as illustrations, not this is what you have to do. Give you an example, I often joke, there's an app for that, and there usually is. So a lot of folks already have this one, right? But if you don't have this, it's a phenomenal Bible app. It has every possible translation. We went to Nicaragua, and I was preaching. I had a little high school Spanish, and I was able to pop it up. And I, was, I don't know what I was saying, but I was reading it in Spanish. It has every possible translation. Here's the thing. I know you, a lot of you have this, but here's a thought. The Bible was heard before it was read. And if you open this app up and you get the right translation, maybe you should shock yourself read a different translation you usually read. It's got a little microphone thing on it. Hit it, and it will, it will read to you. And sometime on a regular basis, hear the words of the one who made you. And maybe you don't have to read the whole thing. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year. You know, use a bookmark. Start be, stop beating yourself up. <laughs> just listen and just take it. S- second one I'll put up there. For someone that wants to spend a little bit more time just being in the presence of God, I found this to be very powerful. Somebody shared it with me. I had to make myself not share it with you for like two months to ask God, is this just something you're blessing me or is it, would this be a blessing to people? Promise this is not a prescription if it's been helpful. Some of you heard of a guy named John Eldridge. Um, I think this is one of the best things he's ever done. It's an app that he and his, his company put together. It's called the One Minute Pause app, but it literally practices, I don't know, eight, nine minutes of just being present with God. And it's very simply directing your heart to God. You, you, you release things to God. Like I found it helpful to say, I release everything to you. I release the sermon to you. I release my family to you. I release football games to you. Just kidding. I just, I release it all to you. I just give it all, seriously, I give whatever. By the way, God will meet you in your struggles. You can give that to him too. So, uh, and there's a piece within it. It'll just do different things. But there's, I found really powerful. It's called 30 Days to Resilient. Again, you don't have to do it in 30 days. It took me 35. So it'll just walk you through some practices. That's just one. Last one I'll put up here. Um, again, this is just illustrative. None of these may not hit you. Just think about meet him where you want to meet him. I, I stole the language for this from Eugene Peterson. Um, he's since gone to be with Jesus, but on his Sabbath day, you know, mine's Friday, but his Sabbath day, he would always take a walk with his wife and he called it Emmaus walks. You remember that story? 
So there are a couple folks that were walking around and they didn't know Jesus was with them. At the end of the journey, they realized Jesus was there. He said, well, what if you take a walk? Some of you are physical, take a drive, go play golf, fish, I don't know, do something, but just recognize Jesus is actually there and expect him to show up. And at the end of the time you're together, just say, God, was there anything in that? I know this sounds so simple, but you see, these are just examples. You could do whatever connects with you. I want to end with this. So here's, here's the thought. Here's what I love. All of this, put up the slide because I don't remember how I said it. I don't care. I'll tell you. Okay. It, it ends. I, lo- I love this picture. The story ends in awestruck wonder. Did you catch this? The whole thing started with them arguing and fighting. They're all arguing and fighting. This guy comes and Jesus lets him lead the dance. You talking all that stuff. But did you catch how the story ended? No one dared ask him any more questions. Isn't this amazing? Jesus led him to actually obey the command he gave him. Isn't that awesome? By the end, he has come to a place of wonder and worship and everybody around him. Look at the next story. Jesus said, my turn to ask questions. And he does, and nobody says anything. It says, and I quote, listen to this, they listened with delight. That is worship. Now check this out. This is so amazing. That's why I'm not, respect to all faiths, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Buddhist. Here's the cool thing. Christianity is the only faith that doesn't just give you commands, he actually gives you the power to follow the command. Isn't that awesome? He said, I want the center of your life to be loving God, and so I'm going to help you get to the place where you can start exactly where you are, you can fire all the questions at me, and at the end of the day, all struck wonder at the God who speaks, and he's living out what Jesus said. Here, listen, Israel, that's where God's taking us. And the invitation is, Holy Spirit, would you tell us what the next step is for our lives, individually and collectively? So here's how I'm going to end. I had a little story, threw it out. Here's how we're going to end. One minute, we're going to actually follow the passage, because 90% of the time we say this passage, we never do it. Be still and know that God is God. For one minute, we're going to sit in silence, and I invite you, whatever you want to give to God, it may just be silence. The most powerful thing that will ever happen in this time is when God speaks to us. He might not hear a word. It might just be sitting in his presence. Maybe there's a word he's calling now. Did you hear that? Just kidding. (laughs) He may have a word from you, a takeaway from you, something. Just sit in the presence of God for a minute. Maybe you just tell him why you love him. And if you're like me, sometimes I have to admit, I love you and I don't do a great job of it. That's okay for him. One minute of silence, I'll bring us out in prayer.
Father God, your psalmist said so long ago, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Your greatness no one can fathom. Father, we just absolutely bow before the mystery of you, our God, and we thank you that you have given us yourself and a reason to live that transcends every crazy thing that we want to run after in this world. Holy Spirit, give each one of us one tiny step to take closer to you and let us see you walking with us just like you did this man, accepting whatever we have to give so that we can know you more deeply. We love you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.